1: will bother it's the living you gotta worry about something if i couldn't keep them
0: there with me whole i at least i felt that i could keep uh, their skeletons welcome in to the bad taste crime podcast i am janelle
1: and i am vicky did you notice that
0: very foreign welcome mm. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you did better than I would have. I mean, yes. I am dreading <laughs> this episode. <'cause laughs> it'll become clear later. Yes, <laughs> but, all will be revealed shortly. <laughs> oh my god, the amount of f- foreign uh, language in this. I like, like to test you, Vicky. <laughs> girl, I had so many, um, like, I had to put in... so pro tip for anybody who's mm-hmm. ever like writing podcast episodes or anything when i don't know something i put in a phonetic pronunciation
0: heck yes that's a good that's a good thing to do
1: i had to do a lot of that yes. And it was a also, lot of like google translate
0: exactly also referring to like how do i pronounce this word
1: yes <laughs> it's very <Yeah>. helpful literally <laughs> and it's so funny because i would you can you can do just like even for town names and stuff, like mm-hmm. if you put it in to translate, it's not going to translate, obviously, because it's a town name. But it'll give you—you you can listen to like the pronunciation, and yeah. it's so funny. <laughs> it's, just, it's probably super wrong, but it just—it's so funny. All—all <laughs> <laughs> all will be revealed. We'll get to that in a second. But first, let's head over to the newsroom. This week, our news comes from health.com with an interesting, uh, <laughs> okay, little, little thing here, yeah. So Two former employees at the Oklahoma County Jail and their supervisor were charged with uh, misdemeanor counts of cruelty to a prisoner and conspiracy for forcing at least four inmates to listen to Baby Shark for hours on end. I heard about this. Did you? As
0: As someone who works in the library world, I can attest to the... Mental and physical taxation of listening to Baby Shark repeatedly.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and if you have kids or like nieces or nephews or grandkids, like Baby Shark, especially not so much anymore, not as much anymore, but there was like a period in time where Baby Shark was like all the rage. Yeah, all that you heard <laughs> all the time. All the baby rage. Yeah. <laughs> So, the inmates were made to stand with their hands secured to the wall while Baby Shark played on loop at loud volumes for hours and hours. And the courts seem to be looking at this as an act of torture. Yeah. But this was really interesting. This is not entirely crime related, but I thought it was kind of interesting because this health article talks about earworms, which if Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. aren't familiar with the term earworms, it's this idea that it's a song, like a really catchy song that keeps replaying in your head even after the song is finished. I'm sure we have a ton that that you could think of, but there was a study published in Psychology of Aesthetics, Creativity, and the Arts that talk about the similarities that earworms have in common, things like an upbeat tempo, pitch patterns that are similar to other popular songs, and big leaps in notes going up and down. But this is what I found interesting. So the study looked at some of the most popular earworms according to the 3,000 people the researchers surveyed. Okay. So I was curious if you had any thoughts on what they would be. And I'll tell you, there are nine of them. And Okay. Most of them are by more modern day artists, and three of them are by Lady Gaga. (sighs) Okay, who is one of my personal favorites is not on the top (laughs) nine. Interestingly enough, but that's a good one.
0: Um, that was for sure one. And you know, I don't listen to modern music, so this might be hard for me.
1: (laughs) I'll give you. We'll do three guesses. So Despacito is one, which I'm surprised is not on there because that is an interesting one. Oh, modern
0: music. What were the what were the hints again that you had said?
1: I said most of them were modern. There are a couple I what you would consider classic rock. Three of them are by Lady Gaga, who's one of my personal favorite artists.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Well I'm forgetting the name of the song.
1: The the dance
0: song. Um
1: <laughs> No, it's called Just not Dance, but it's not that <laughs> one.
0: Jesus Christ. Okay.
1: Yeah, one, um, more, one more uh, guess, Take so a ride right on my disco stick is
0: always stuck in my brain. <laughs> Bad Romance?
1: So yes, Bad Romance okay. is on there. Bad <laughs> Romance is actually number one. Oh, there we go. <laughs> disco Stick is a reference to Poker Face, which is also on there. <laughs> okay. That's number nine. So <laughs> I'll tell you what one. they are. Number one is Bad Romance by Lady Gaga. Number two, Can't Get You Out of My Head by Kylie Minogue. I Me? just okay. can't get you out of my is, uh, head. I'm Blue Daba D on there? <laughs> no, that is not. Eiffel Come 65, also a very Ma- good album. Mambo number 5? Nope, just Blue okay. Vega is not the, on there. I'm going to hit the 90s stuff. Also had that Thong album. Thong Song. Thong Song <laughs> is not on there. That was... see. Oh, what is earworms. his name? It's up, guys. Cisco. Oh my God. Cisco, yes, thank you.
0: With okay so silver
1: hair <laughs> here's the top nine bad romance okay. by lady gaga can't get you out of my head by kylie minogue don't stop believing by journey okay, yeah mm-hmm. somebody that i used to know by Gautier. oh <laughs> moves like jagger by maroon five that's an earworm i not know yeah <laughs> i got the moves like jagger i got the moves like jagger yeah Ugh. california girls by Katy perry i don't
0: even know that song
1: <laughs> California girls were undeniable. Daisy okay, sure. Duke's bikinis <laughs> on top.
0: I listen to punk <laughs> rock music, guys. Okay, Bohemian Rhapsody.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, by yeah. Queen. Alejandro by Lady Gaga. That one, yes. Okay. Alejandro, Alejandro, ala Alejandro, ala Alejandro. <laughs> And poker really face know. by Lady Gaga. Yeah, yeah, so, poker face. yeah. So that's the top nine. I just found that really interesting. I'm a huge Lady Gaga fan, so that I was like, mm-hmm. of course, she does have a lot of really catchy stuff. But that's dance music. It is. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like yes. dance
0: music has to be catchy to make yeah. you dance.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Mine. You know what? I always considered like the ultimate earworm, and it's the song that I use to get other earworms out of my head. Is Yellow Submarine. No. <laughs> oh.
0: Yellow Submarine by the Beatles. I mean See, when I think of earworms, I don't necessarily think of music. I think of like jingles. Yeah, I could see like that. Uh, well with the exception of like the eight, six, seven, five, three oh nine song. It's all it's like a number based stuff yeah. and jingles well, that gets. Unless you think head. of
1: like uh well that's now that you say that, yeah, that is, I guess, a number jingle. empire. Carpet. I have a structured settlement and I need, need cash, cash now. now.
0: See, that's stuff. Call is what J. Gets stuck G. In my
1: Wentworth eight seven seven cash now. See
0: exactly <laughs> jingles. Jingles are the earworms that I'm familiar with.
1: That's a very midwestern, <laughs> like the J. G. Wentworth mm-hmm. O'Reilly. I think is a pretty midwestern
0: oh, thing. Oh, oh, O'Reilly. See, like Which- you're saying these things, and I know exactly what you're talking about empire <laughs> yes luna
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah piggly all the- wiggly I, d- I don't know the and oink, oink song
0: do you know the moon oink, uh-huh. m- 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 moon oink. that
1: gets stuck no. in my head daily no i do know the bob <laughs> roarman which is like a car is- <laughs> car dealership <laughs> those so are dumb.
0: earworms okay those are things that you don't need to know but yeah. they're stuck in your head <laughs> yeah a song lyric or a melody like that's Mm -hmm. the purpose of it
1: a tin farm should not be in there (laughs) we are farmers (laughs) bum-ba-dum-bum-bum-bum-bum see yeah see i think
0: we're we're gonna read you this list and give them what's really in your mind
1: yeah right Let's move on to, I know some people from our area are going to be listening to this and be like, oh my god, these are all the things that I, because these were like radio commercials that played yes. when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Public and I access think, TV commercials. Yes, and like, most of these are still, still jingles that they use now like 30 years later, so.
0: Vicky, I have an amazing Chicagoland area uh, information for you. Okay. Did you know... That the Victory Auto Wreckers commercial was directed by Svengulli.
1: No! Yes. I didn't know that. And yeah. I love Svengulli. You can see on video <laughs> right here. This is my autographed uh, Yes, <laughs> picture right next to my little skeleton over here. Yes. I've met him twice. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was like what I would watch in the evenings. You know, Darwin. when I'm like, I don't want to go
0: out... Yeah. I just want to watch some and has some Zaba. Oh, my God.
1: All right. We got to move on. Otherwise, we're going to anyway. be talking about this forever. <laughs> um, so we're going to move on to Netflix and Kill. This week, we are talking about a new entry into the Manhunt series, which, if you're unfamiliar, they did Manhunt the Unabomber. There was another Manhunt in between there that came out a couple months ago. I forget what it was for. But this week, we are talking about Nail Bomber Manhunt. I haven't
0: watched this one yet.
1: So the documentary looks at the 1999 London bombings that targeted Black, Bangladeshi, and gay communities. Over three weekends on April April 17th to the 30th, 1999, homemade nail bombs were detonated across London containing up to 1,500 four-inch nails. In total, the bombs killed three people, one of which was pregnant and injured 140 people, four of whom lost limbs. There was at the time a lot of talk about the perpetrator being someone in like a far right group and potentially Mm -hmm. using the bombs in hopes of starting a race war. On May 2nd, 1999, the Metropolitan Police Anti-Terrorist Branch charged 22-year-old David Copeland with murder. Copeland was a neo-Nazi militant and former member of both the British National Party and the National Socialist Movement. In 2000, Copeland was convicted of murder and given six life sentences. The, I always feel like the Manhunt series does a really good job of like digging into The particulars they do a lot of interviewing of people who were there at the time and part of the investigation this particular case i find really interesting because these are some of the same ideals that people use for some of their attacks now this idea of like starting a race war i'm like okay um why (laughs) you know
0: because helter skelter vicky
1: I guess, yeah. I mean, Charles Manson is a perfect example. Like, uh-huh. I just, I don't know how many times this has to be done before people will realize it won't work.
0: In the words of Gen Z, it's chuggy, okay?
1: Oh my god. Race wars Janelle. are chuggy. Janelle! <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm pretty sure you're considered a chug. Um, I don't
0: actually follow any of the stuff that was popular when we were kids. No? I don't have UGG boots. I don't wear pants. Um, I've never put "Live Left Love" on anything.
1: <laughs> um,
0: so <laughs> I feel like it's like um, it's like specific stuff that is equated yeah. with like
1: basic ass millennials. Kind of, except it's also not like there's some aspects yeah. of like being responsible and having a job makes you a chug. It's like what. I don't know. I don't understand. I have a job,
0: but I would—it's a far stretch to say I'm responsible. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But we definitely know all those chukes out there. We got a lot of chuke friends. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, I—I I agree.
1: Live, laugh, love is chuggy, guys. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's gross. Okay.
0: Do so anyway, derailing again.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. This is that part of the show where we say content might not be appropriate for all listeners. There will be discussions of murder, sexual assault, and rape and blowing shit up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mine is actually lighthearted. Yours is gonna (laughs) be lighthearted compared to mine, for sure. That's possible.
0: It's also gonna be very informational. Yeah. So friends, are you ready to take a trip across the pond? And no, we're not going to England, but we're gonna go over top of it. (laughs) (laughs) And we're gonna we're gonna find ourselves in the land of the Danes mm. and the Norwegians and the Finns and the Swedes.
1: <laughs> yes, yes.
0: So we're doing we're doing some Danish Dutch slash Dutch crimes uh, because mine kind of goes all over the place, all of the countries yeah. over there.
1: This is one of those episodes that is really interesting on our end to to deal with because at least for me, like a lot of my research articles are in Danish. And so you're only hoping that Google Translate will do its job <laughs> and, like, spit out the right words. <laughs> hmm
0: I think because mine's related to a- some stuff in America, uh, mm-hmm. I had a lot more things that were translated to English. But on the other side of that, like, the countries that I mentioned, a lot of people have English as their second language right off the bat from birth. Yeah. Yeah. So... They do a lot better than we do. I am going to be covering the Great Nordic Biker Wars, a.k.a. the Second Biker War, because obviously motorcycles. Um. (laughs) Right. So from January 1994 to September 1997, the countries of Denmark, Norway, Finland, and Sweden were entrenched in a bloody bomb-filled battle between the Hells Angels and the Banditos Motorcycle Club.
1: Now this is a rivalry really? that is as old as time. <laughs> I guess I didn't realize that the larger biker gangs in the U.S. would really be involved with like bikers from other countries. Oh yes, they, interesting. So
0: there was a period of time in the 60s and 70s where bikers were starting to acquire smaller other gang groups that had lesser members. Mm -hmm. Um, So, they would basically, like, buy up these smaller biker gangs and bring them into the fold. And in the late 80s, early 90s, this was, like, a big to-do expansion. Okay. So, this was kind of, like, for some reason, these particular countries were, like, the last frontier of having, you know, offshoots from the Hells Angels and the Banditos. So... The conflict, by many, many, many before it, came out of territory disputes and controlling organized crime rackets in Europe. So the 80s and 90s were filled with these turf wars in the U.S., which spilled over into Europe in the late 90s. And once the U.S. started cracking down on clubs, all of the business was done pretty much outside of the United States. Conflict would kill 11 people. There would be 74 attempted murders and 96 wounded Oh my goodness. So, wow. Buckle up. Yeah. Or not buckle up because we're going to be on motorcycles. Put <laughs> your helmet on. <laughs> yes. But also like if you wear a helmet, that's like chuggy for
1: for biker. Oh boxing. my god, enough. <laughs> I I am banning the word chuggy from this podcast. It
0: sounds so official like
1: official ban. It, it feels so weird coming out of your
0: mouth. It's fun to say. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I follow someone on Instagram who is a little bit older than we are and they're an actor and, and they have been doing a lot of, of videos pertaining to that. So it's like Ugh, God. in my brain right now because it's so fucking hilarious. Anyway, in Europe, biker culture started to root in the 60s and 70s with most of the influence coming from British rocker culture. The police still to this day have the term rockers in reference to Danish biker culture, which if you know anything about biker culture, it's kind of hilarious. Yeah. By the 70s, U.S. bike culture began to take over with the image of the Hells Angels outlaw style being the predominant force. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it wasn't until the 90s when the biker gang lifestyle started to kind of be splashed across the newspaper and in the headlines because there was turf wars that were spilling blood in all of the streets. This is because gangs started to turn more into illegal business ventures instead of the usual rowdy group hangings. A lot of these ventures included mostly drug selling or drug running, uh, prostitution rings, larceny, and arms deals. So pretty
1: standard fare.
0: Yes. Very standard. The first Hell's Angels chapter in Scandinavia was founded in Denmark on December 30th, 1980, when the Unionen MC from Copenhagen, uh, which was a union of four local bike clubs that dated from the 1970s was patched over. Now, You're probably like, the fuck's patched over me? Patched over refers to when your club patch is replaced with the new club that you have become affiliated with. So you were a union in, now you're going to be a Hells Angel. So they're going to cut off that union in patch and they're going to put a Hells Angel patch in its place.
1: Makes sense.
0: Yes. Now patches are the symbol of the clubs. And if you're a full-fledged member, you've got the whole full patch it's kind it's akin to like earning stripes if you're in the army or whatever you get all these little things to put on your jacket
1: right now if if
0: you're not quite a member then you're a prospect so you'll get a patch that says prospect you don't get to wear the logo most of the time you don't get to wear the colors just yet until you've earned your place Mm -hmm. which usually has to do with you committing some sort of crime right um (laughs) Now, by 1992, the club had expanded into Norway and then on to Sweden by 1993. The Banditos were established in Europe via a chapter in Marseille, France, in the fall of 1989. By the 90s, they were looking to expand and had decided to take over a club in Denmark, which were The Undertakers. Because this was an already established club and a territory that also had Hell's Angels, they had to be very diplomatic about this. So they had to, like, basically ask permission if they could have a club in the same area. So the Hells Angels sanctioned the Banditos takeover of the Undertakers on the condition that they confine themselves to only having two chapters around there. But there was such a surge of membership that they actually had outgrown the two chapters that were originally established. And so they started to expand beyond the agreement that they had committed to. Uh Uh-oh. There was a small club called the Morbids at this time that had less than 10 members, and they refused to become part of the Hells Angels. The Hells Angels were trying to, like, take over their territory, basically, and bring them into the fold.
1: Great name, by the way. Yes.
0: (laughs) This is said to be one of the major reasons that the war started off to begin with. The second one being drugs and guns. Okay. Both clubs at this time were dealing in drugs, mostly amphetamines, cocaine, hashish, and MDMA, and, of course, arms guns were a major part of the deal sure so i'm going to go through like a quick timeline to kind of show you all of the things that were happening because it is like rapid fire like boom 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 things are happening
1: okay january 26
0: 1994 Hellsborg, sweden a shooting at the morbids mc club mc clubhouse happens the following month in february of 94 in Hellsborg, sweden again There was a retaliation shooting between Hell's Angels and Banditos uh, motorcycle club, and the Hell's Angel member Joaquin Bowman was killed. Later that month, an anti-tank rocket was fired into the Hell's Angels clubhouse in Sweden. Where
1: the fuck do you get an anti-tank rocket? Like (laughs) they're dealing in arms. This is all. This is I know, but even (laughs) for like arms dealers, like what the like Johnny, go get the rocket. Uh, we're gonna go. Fired at the rival clubhouse. What? It's a lot of rockets. Oh my god. Oh god.
0: June. In June, on the 22nd, uh, in Finland now, the clan Motorcycle Club president is shot and killed by a Hells Angels member because they were going to be one of the groups that was going to be brought into the Banditos. Now, fast forward to February of 1995. In Oslo, Norway, a shootout happens between the Hells Angels and the Banditos in the street, and one person is wounded. July of that same year, in Finland, Bandito's Motorcycle Club president Michael Joe Lundgren is killed. This murder remains a cold case. The Choppers Motorcycle Club in Stockholm gained prospect status from the Hells Angels shortly after this time. Uh... So it is leads to the conclusion that perhaps that motorcycle club murdered them so that they could become part of it you know yeah the hell's angels yeah in july later july that year uh the banditos motorcycle club in retaliation fire an anti-tank rocket at the hell's angels prospect clubhouse in helsinki then a few days later they fire an anti-tank rocket at the prospect house in Hellsburg, sweden
1: (laughs) Oh my god, you are not kidding. There's a lot of rockets in this.
0: (laughs) So, Kai Tapio Blom and Auntie Tuano Tapani were the members of the Banditos Motorcycle Club found responsible for the July 95 anti-tank rocket launch attacks. Kai received six years in prison for this, and Auntie received four years in prison. And that's all you get for apparently launching a rocket at someone. (laughs) Good to know. (laughs) In December, on fucking Christmas in 1995, Bandito's Motorcycle Club beat two Hells Angels members in a nightclub in Copenhagen, Denmark. Also, why are their clubs open on Christmas? Anyway.
1: I mean, what else (laughs) are you going to do? Spend it with family? Ew. In January of
0: 1996, Screwdriver's MC Clubhouse in Hammer, Norway is attacked by a bombing. They were said to, um, I think they were going to be part of the Hells Angels, is who was getting... They were going to patch in. Later that month, Hells Angels, Oslo, Norway clubhouse was attacked by a bomb. And then on the 26th of January, seven shots were fired at a car carrying several outlaw members outside the customizers clubhouse in Alnberu, Oslo, leaving an outlaw wounded. And 13 people associated with the customizers were charged in this case.
1: This is almost like like one thing a week happening. Yes, sometimes it really is. just days apart too like mm-hmm. this is very wild.
0: retaliatory yeah in february in helsinki a bar owned by the hells angels was bombed march in 96 hells angels mc attack the banditos mc helsinki clubhouse banditos president Yarko Koko <laughs> later dies from the gunshot wound and another member is wounded Ika Júnkogen and Jussi Penetinen were the Hells Angels that were found responsible for the clubhouse murders. They were prospects, so that was probably part of their initiation was to kill these guys. Ika received 12 and a half years in prison and Jussi received six. Oh my god. In March of 96, multiple Bandidos members are attacked and wounded at the Fornebrew Airport in Oslo, Norway. On the same day, a group of banditos were returning from Helsinki and were shot at the Kostrup Airport in Denmark. One banditos member, Uffe Larsen, died and three others were wounded. So they were on these runs, potentially to get arms. And the banditos that were at the airport were saw, like seen by one Hell's Angel member. And they made a phone call and said, these guys are at the airport. Oh my and god. So, They were able to basically ambush them. Yeah. So in April, and then also again in May, Hells Angels MC Clubhouse in Hellsburg, Sweden and South Denmark are attacked. The clubhouse of the Hells Angels Prospect Club Avengers in Alberg, Denmark was also attacked. So all these places are getting fucking bombed, like one after the other. Boom, boom, boom. Wow. In July of 96, Banditos members and previously in the mid 80s co-founder... Okay, so this is where it's going to get a little crazy. So he was a Banditos member, and before he was that, he was part of this outlaw motorcycle club called the White Trash MC. His name is Jan Hro Jensen, and his nickname was The Face. (laughs) He was riding with the Swedish Banditos president, Michael Lechre Olsen, and he was shot. But it is thought that the Banditos president was the actual target.
1: Uh, okay.
0: Jim Werner, who was a Banditos member from Kloskov, um, which is in Denmark, discovered an explosive, this is the same day, weighing half a kilogram attached to his van. He had been driving with the bomb underneath his vehicle for several hours, but it failed to explode due to a technical error.
1: Fuck that. Oh, my God.
0: A few days later, a six kilogram remote controlled bomb hidden in a sports bag was placed in the front of the Hells Angels Clubhouse in Nurembro, Copenhagen, but failed to explode when the radio controlled trigger also malfunctioned. It potentially saved the lives of four bikers who were in the building during the time.
1: I mean, at least they weren't good with building bobs. Like, no. Well, um, I mean,
0: kind of. I would of. say it would be like a 70 30% at the bobs. Yeah. Were going yeah. Off. Oh, my God. <laughs> in August of 96, the Hells Angels, Sweden vice president is shot in the head in Hellsburg, Sweden. In October of that year, the biker war reached its apex on the 6th of October when the Copenhagen Hells Angels chapter had their annual Viking party. They held it at a club in Norembro, and it was attended by 150 people. It was attacked with a rocket-propelled grenade. The missile exploded after penetrating the building's concrete wall, killing two people, uh, Hells Angel prospect Louis Lindy Nilsen and Jan Krohn, who was actually a single mother from the local area who had accepted an invitation to the event.
1: Oh my god. So she was
0: just there for a fucking barbecue.
1: Yeah. On top
0: of that, it wounded 19 others, including Hells Angels MC Denmark National President Christian Sash Middlebow. Um, Jan Cronin was the first non non-combatant killed as a result of the conflict. And as the result, the public was absolutely outraged. And it caused the Danish government to intr- introduce harsher anti-crime legislation in an effort to reduce motorcycle gang violence.
1: Yeah, the- I was just wondering, like, I wonder... How many civilians were, like, caught in the crossfire of this? Because I can't imagine that all of these clubhouses are, like, out in remote areas. Some of them have to be in the places that they're at have to be in, like, residential areas, right?
0: Yeah, she was the first one, but I don't think – I think it was less than five people. I honestly think it was just two people who were caught in the crossfire, and it was mostly people – who were part of the clubs who were getting
1: killed. So that's, that's really lucky. Cause like, yeah, the potential I mean, there was is of there
0: injured who didn't yeah. die. <laughs> yeah. So in October of that year, there were three attacks on hell's angels clubhouses. And the third attack, which occurred at a clubhouse in Malmö, Sweden involved an explosion that wounded 12 bystanders. In the same month, a little bit later, uh, Niels Poulson, who was a bandito's prospect, was uh, found responsible for the October 1996 Hell's Angels clubhouse attack, and he received a sentence of life in prison. Now, shortly after all of this was happening, they passed the law, which was called Rockloven, which me- means the Rocker Act. And it was passed by the Denmark government and came into play in in October. So this act provides police with more power against bikers and also aims to prevent the assembly of members at their clubhouses. So what they're trying to do is trying to prevent them from having a clubhouse so that there's not a centralized location where people can bomb. (laughs) Makes sense. The amendment was officially passed in June of 2003, providing even greater rights to police. And so they expanded on that. Basically, I'm not sure entirely how the law works over there, but they introduced something. And then I think they added an amendment to it. Okay, so it included the ability to use civilian agents, monitor Internet traffic, including emails and to also allow other types of undercover monitoring in the effort to combat organized crime. Now, in January of 1997, Hell's Angels member Kim Fjorsen Svetsen is killed in Alberg, Denmark. Later that month, Outlaws MC President Thor Henke Holm and an Outlaws member from France are shot and wounded by a member of the Untouchables who was an ally of the Hell's Angels. They weren't quite patched in yet. And then there are multiple shootings that occur over the course of the next few months of Banditos members in Denmark. And then immediately following that, there was retaliation shooting in Copenhagen, at the Hells Angels. Wow. Now, a Hells Angels associate was wounded by a shot with a 9mm pistol fired at him from another car as he waited at a stoplight in Fredericksburg, Copenhagen in April of 1997. Later that day, two men, including a Banditos member, were arrested on suspicion of carrying out the shooting. An attempt was made on the life of the Banditos member uh, being held at Vestry Prison during this time in May. And an electric razor was sent to him containing 95 grams of explosive that would have ex- exploded had he plugged it in to use it. Oh, my God. Prison authorities suspected the device right away and confiscated it before it could be used. A Banditos member was shot and killed in Cog like, right after this. So there's, like, you sent this guy something that's supposed to explode. They figured out who it was, fucking killed that guy. Like, it... so much retaliation
1: that's pretty clever though i gotta be honest although i wonder if it like what tipped off authorities that it like wasn't legit i mean you know like did it just like not weigh what you would think an electric razor would weigh or like it was
0: probably heavier yeah So in June of 1997, another bomb explodes outside the Bandito's Norway clubhouse. An innocent woman driving by the clubhouse at this time was killed in the blast. And a Hells Angels member was convicted in 2002 of this crime. So we have two dead and over a dozen wounded that are just innocent bystanders. A few days later in June, Banditos member Bjorn Gudmundsson is killed and three other Banditos members wounded in a shooting outside a busy restaurant in the tourist town of Lelyale, Denmark. Von Smith was the Hells Angel member found responsible for the June 1997 murder of Bjorn and the shootings of three other people in Lelyale, and they received a life sentence. Now, in 97, American and European leaders of the Banditos and Hells Angels met. In the United States. First they met in Colorado. And then they had a follow up meeting in Seattle. Ultimately the club's Danish chapters. Were pivotal in really creating this. Biker war resolution. So you have the US. Chapters meeting with the. European chapters in the United States. And they're like this is getting out of fucking control. So they decided. That they were going to. Basically call a truce.
1: I realize Obviously that these gangs are just as violent in the U.S., but like, was there the same type of bombings happening in the U.S. directly related to like the disputes and stuff that were going on in Europe? Or or was it basically just like the European?
0: It was all, it was just clubs retaliating to clubs okay. and not necessarily crossing over between Europe and the United States.
1: Okay, because I realize that- that was Vicky. probably happening here at the same I know that was happening yes. here at the same time but I didn't know if it was like in Rockford, in Chicago, in
0: Milwaukee. Just look it up. Um while we were children this is happening.
1: Oh yeah. I away. took <laughs> when I was in college I took a it was really interesting. I was taking a sociology class, and the first half of it was like regular sociology, and the second half was the sociology of biker gangs and the woman who was teaching the class had actually inserted herself as a member of the Hell's Angels for quite a few years researching mm-hmm. the sociology of the group. so it was like this is one of these things that like from a long time ago has always kind of interests me, I think because. Also, there's this, these links between specifically the Hells Angels and the drug culture of the 60s. So,
0: yeah, well, it's interesting because in the beginning, they wanted nothing to do with like selling drugs, they were all just about partying and taking them. And then there was this like image shift to where they became basically a business enterprise.
1: Yeah, but they also had a lot of like connections with the music scene too. I mean, like look yep. at this, mm-hmm. what happened to at Altamont Speedway, Altamar. right? Like, yep. you know, it, a lot
0: of bands hired them as security.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: there were hell's angels that knew fucking all kinds of famous people. And you can go back and look in pictures and stuff. And like Charles fucking Manson knew hell's angels. Like,
1: right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Not to divert away from the European conflict, but I <laughs> I was just curious if it was like stuff going on in the U S directly related to the European, or if it was just between the European chapters.
0: Yeah, it was just between European chapters. And then same with the United States, just between the U.S. chapters. Okay. Now, the interesting thing about this sort of peace talks was the police helped initiate relations by providing security for the conferences. They were like, we'll put security outside. Interesting. So that was very interesting. Now, a treaty was drafted and each club signed it and it Clearly designated territory and then rights of individual bars, cafes, and nightclubs. Kind of basically plotted out who could go where, when, and what, and why. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hells Angels European president, Bien Svan Nielsen, and his Bandidos counterpart, Jim Tiondin, uh held a live televised press conference in September of 1997. And without really revealing all of the details, announced officially that there was an end to the hostilities. Now, the crime levels between the gangs subsequently returned to pre-conflict levels, so there was not much going on besides maybe a couple knife fights here and there. Yeah. Now, a cold war sort of emerged in its place in these territories, with the banditos allied with the outlaws on one side and the Hells Angels allied with the coffin cheaters on the other In 2005, the Angels had formed eight, by by that time, had formed eight chapters in Denmark, four in Finland, five in Norway, and six in Sweden. The Banditos had formed 13 branches in Denmark, two in Finland, five in Norway, and four in Sweden. The Banditos and the Hells Angels remained the most prominent criminal organization in Scandinavia until the early 2000s, but by the mid-2000s, street gangs, like regular street gangs, began to emerge, and the motorcycle gangs' hegemony over organized crime was, like, done. Okay. The focus shifted from the motorcycle clubs to the street gangs, and all of their criminal doing kind of went under the radar. Oh. Um, and that's the end. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the treaty, like, officially lasted until about 2001, when all the shit started up again. In March of 2001, Banditos member Klaus uh, Bork Hansen was shot 26 times and killed in Copenhagen after returning from a restaurant with his girlfriend, porn star Dorothy Damsgaard. Wow. The police had warned him several times and like as soon as the day before that he was on the banditos hit list and offered him protection, but he refused. Oh my gosh. Um, Hansen had been, this is the, this is the funny thing. Hansen had been expelled from the banditos and he decided that he was going to become a Hells Angels member. Oh
1: no. Oh so no, no, no.
0: He, you know, it's, it's very confusing. Um, <laughs> I didn't know That you could do that. But basically, he became a turncoat and he was like, I support this club instead. Yeah. There is some evidence that actually both clubs agreed that the hit would be okay. Like, they were like, yes, take him out.
1: Oh, my God. Okay. Which
0: sounds insane. But here's the thing. If you're so willing. Oh, I was in the banditos. Like, brother, let me be part of your group instead. I'll give you all their secrets. Right who's to say that you decide you don't like the hell's angels more and you anymore and you go back to the banditos so right right there wasn't trust and they were like you know what we'll let it ride for a minute but we're gonna kill them. so after this killing several others took place and so by june of 2010 banditos president jim to announced that the peace treaty officially between his club and the hell's angels was off Now the Hells Angels uh, had breached terms of agreement by admitting six Banditos members into their club. So they were like, we're done. Ooh, boy. And then another short period of time of violence broke out after that. Now, that was only, uh, you know, like a few years ago. There hasn't been a whole lot in news recently in the past 10 years, but they did call off the treaty in 2010.
1: Oh, my gosh. So who's
0: to say that there's not going to be more violence eventually one day? Yeah. The United States, I think, does a better job dealing with the motorcycle gang violence. But, you know, these Scandinavian countries haven't quite figured it out.
1: Right. Yeah. But
0: that was a very long (laughs) biker war that happened. And I said the second one because there was another one that happened before this. And they all kind of string together. That's why I did it in a timeline fashion, because it's like murder after murder after murder after attempted murder after anti-tank rocket launch grenade.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy.
0: But at the same time, stuff like this was happening in the United States. So look up Biker Wars in US or Europe, and you will find a whole host of lots of grenades and anti-tank rocket missiles and all kinds of stuff happening.
1: I'm pretty sure that there was a big biker war in, like, Australia also.
0: Probably, yeah.
1: I don't know if it's related to any of the U.S. Uh, organizations or not, but, like, for some reason that's, like, in my memory as a thing. <laughs> wow, that's wild.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I am going to be talking about Anastina Geisler. Now, during her childhood, Anna attended the Krebs School, which was an institution that was kind of like this upper class, hoity-toity, like really prestigious institute that all the rich folks sent their kids to and influential people would send their kids to. There she met Crown Prince Frederick, which is something that the tabloids and later books kind of harp on quite a bit, but there isn't any evidence that the two were much more than casual acquaintances. They like to pull in the royals, I think, because it sells papers. Mm-hmm, definitely. <laughs> but and and he has, from what I've seen, like expressed sympathy and sadness about it but like really it wasn't like the two were best friends or anything and they were just kind of like casual acquaintances at age 18 Anna was studying uh, political science at Denmark's Aarhus University Uh, most news outlets describe her as happy and intelligent and attractive indicating that she had a lot going for her before she disappeared on June 4th, 1990, while walking home from Copenhagen's Pentecost celebrations, which the Pentecost over there is like really a big deal. It's the, over the course of two days, they have these huge like street celebrations and carnivals and parades and like all this kind of stuff. So on the way from the Pentecost celebrations, Anna disappeared before attending a carnival in Copenhagen. Anna had been attending a friend's birthday party. And at approximately 2 a.m., Anna decided to head home along a canal on Gamelstrand. Anna lived in an apartment in Telgardstrede, just above her parents. They had worked out a system where when she came home, she would like slip a note under their door to just say she had gotten home safely the evening before. But when her parents awoke in the morning, the normal note was missing. Her parents waited an additional day before calling around to like their friends and family because there was a family, it was like a family picnic the next day that she didn't show up to. So they were like, where the fuck is she? Started calling around to see if anybody had heard from her. Then after a chef entered the basement of the building that was regularly used as a changing room. It was there that Anna's body was discovered. Now, this is from an article on Medium by Michael East. Quote, the body was fully clothed, wearing the same cognac-colored leather coat, short skirt, yellow stockings, and burgundy-colored shoes as the previous evening. She had her hands tied behind her back with a black cord, the rope also looping around her neck and connected to a door handle. If she had moved, she would have been strangled. Her face and neck also featured several incisions made with either a uh, knife or shards of glass. The two two rags were stuffed in her mouth on her arm. What appeared to be the letter PK had been cut into the skin. A pack of condoms laid under the woman and bone wax had been poured all over the body. Despite bone the presence... <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you about bone wax in a minute. Despite the presence of condoms, no evidence of rape or sexual assault was found, end quote. So bone wax cuz I had to look into this as well and I'm sure my medical friends will correct me if I get this totally wrong. But bone wax is used or was used to stop bleeding from the bone during medical procedures. So if you have to like cut into the bone, it's used as like a clotting agent. Okay. I don't know if it's still used today or if that's like an like a old school method, but you just like melt it and use it to clot. Forensic scientists would later conclude that the cause of death was from the dish rags pressing the tongue down and then covering Anna's air supply. Now, initially investigations led authorities to believe that Anna had been surprised by her attacker and dragged down into the into the basement. It didn't appear that the attack was pre-planned, rather improvised. After they were down in the basement, most of the like rope and the other instruments that were found in the basement, including, um, I think the bone wax were found in the basement rather than brought from outside to be used in, in the basement. The police were stumped by the use of the bone wax on the body, theorizing that it could be part of a ritual killing when combined with the carving of the letters on Anna's arm. That was just like their working theory at the time. There were some other theories that said the wax was used to, in an attempt to erase forensic material from the scene. I don't know how well it would have gotten rid of stuff or if it just like hides it temporarily and the wax holds onto forensic material. Mm -hmm. But again, this was like the early nineties. So some of that forensic material that would have been on the wax. I don't know that they would have been able to get access to it if it was there. The investigation. And this is one of these things that I always struggle on whether or not to mention, but I chose to mention it here because it is sort of important to the investigation. But the investigation by the authorities would reveal that Anastina had a very eventful secret private life. She would frequent various cafes and bars where she would engage in intellectual conversation as well as various relationships with older men. Now, like I said, I sometimes struggle with whether to include this or not, but the police were looking at these men that she was having relations or affairs with Mm -hmm. as their suspect pool. So kind of worth including here. I will say I, in the articles that I found, Um I didn't see this reported in such a way to victim blame, because I think a lot of times in like the US papers, it would be like, you know, having this sort of, yeah,
0: it's all her fault. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, she was sleeping around
1: yeah. and seeing all of these men and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I did not see reporting like that. I'm not saying it didn't exist, but it really just seemed like they were looking at it within the context of the investigation. So kudos to Danish news for that, I guess. Mm -hmm. So as I said, this kind of became like the main focus of the investigation as police really believed that the killer would be found among um, this group of men that she was seeing. The first was a 40-year-old journalist with whom Anna was having an affair um police brought him in for questioning and while he did not deny the affair he was able to provide an alibi for the night in question upon speaking to other witnesses police discovered anna's uh, anna had spoken to other men at Sabine's cafeteria the night before she had been murdered as well as meeting a man for lunch at Cafe Wilder the man from Cafe Wilder was quickly identified and discounted after also being able to provide an alibi after following a few of these uh leads, police actually changed directions a little bit, suspecting that Anna had been killed by a stalker or an opportunistic sex criminal. Mm-hmm. Uh This is where it becomes interesting and a little conspiracy theory-ish. So a repeat criminal, Peter Cronholm, who would later become known as Mr. Smiley... Had previously been convicted of aggravated assault, abuse, and multiple frauds. He was living in a commune at the time, not far from where Anna was murdered. And shortly after the discovery of her body, he like moved away from the area pretty quickly after that, which is a little suspicious. Yeah. Kronholm's initials also matched what were carved into Anna's arm, the PK. Mm-hmm. And he had been seen at Cafe Floss, which is not far from where Anna's body was discovered. At the time, this wasn't known, but Peter Kronholm would go on to become one of Denmark's most notorious killers, killing his ex-girlfriend in 1994 and suspected of killing another two years prior After serving time for murder and being released in 2003, Cronholm would be convicted of another murder in 2006 and being released again in 2019. But there really wasn't anything other than circumstantial evidence to connect Cronholm to Anna's murder. So there's that. (laughs) Yeah. At the time of Anna's murder, there were a total of five killings of other women in the city, all of which at the time were unsolved. And so there was sort of this idea that her murder might be one in a string of murders that happened uh, in the city. So... Later in 2011, serial rapist Marcel Hansen was convicted of two of those slayings, that of Edith Andre in 1987 and Lena Rasmussen in 1990. It has been theorized that Marcel Hansen could be responsible for Anna's killings as well, uh, making the connection between all of the attacks being on women while they were at their homes, Hansen also strangled his victims using the same like wrist to neck tying technique that was used in Anna's killing. However, following a DNA test of Anna's clothing, Hansen was ruled out. Approximately 4,000 people have been questioned about the case, although most leads have gotten them nowhere thus far. The current head of the investigation, Detective Inspector Ovidal, still believes that Hansen is the culprit, although they can't prove it. Yeah, There seemed to be a small break in 2012 when police had announced that they were able to pull a DNA profile of the killer from Anna's clothing. But from what I could find, it didn't really seem like there had been a match made so far. Mm. So just over 31 years later, anastina geisler's murder remains unsolved and that's it that's all i got for you
0: yeah it would sound like it would be that that guy i mean the initials match and stuff but also like why are you carving your initials into somebody i
1: it's like a dead giveaway
0: if that's the case
1: yeah and i wonder (laughs) because in the early 90s, remember, we had a lot of the satanic panic happening. Yeah, I think that had an influence on some of the crimes that were committed at the time. Like, if I do these things that make it look like a like a ritualistic killing, then people are just going to assume that it's part of the satanic movement. Yeah. So I could see that being a thing. But like, Let's be real. A lot of killers are like power hungry and egotistical uh-huh. sociopaths. Um, yeah. So it's like, here, look what I did type of a thing. hmm. Yeah. You know, very, uh, very bummer. sad. I know. <laughs> After having end fun on with on the <laughs> biker wars. Yeah, I had to end on a bummer. Before you decide <laughs> to travel over to europe um maybe listen to this podcast murder do you have anything to say on why you should not die according to the law mysteries a dreadful accident has happened at flannins the three keepers duckett marshall and the occasional have disappeared from the island
0: Join us at the Hidden Staircase Podcast, where every two weeks I will bring you stories and cases you've probably never heard. You can find us on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to lock your doors and hold tight to your flashlight.
1: All right, folks, that has been our episode. I know it was – well, at least <laughs> mine was a little shorty today. <laughs> Just a little bite-sized. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more like this at badtastepodcast.com, where we also have links to our merch and donate pages. You can check those out if you want to support the show or get a cool t-shirt or something. That's, That's always an option. Do we want to talk about Fringe? Do we want to wait until we have more info?
0: You know, just keep just keep checking stuff. Like I said, it might yeah. change at the last minute. So we're going to be in fringe in some capacity in September.
1: <laughs> yeah. And we will, any updates that we have, we'll post to our social media as soon as we hear something because we are just as anxious to get in and do some more shows this year as you guys are now that we mm-hmm. are vaxxed and ready to go, baby. vaxxed to the max. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you got anything else before we finish up, Janelle?
0: No, you know, we're just hanging
1: out, doing the thing, waiting on fringe. <laughs> waiting on fringe. Enjoy your summer, but be safe and yes. thoughtful, mm-hmm. I would say. <laughs> uh, but on that note, our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, The Enigma. This has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Uh. Goodbye. I don't know how to say goodbye in Danish, otherwise oh, I mean, just
0: know German, a Zane you know? It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all here in some form or another.